coming to you from Strings and Things Studio in Ventura and Fillmore. <laughs> I'm Anne. I'm Katie. And I'm Karen. And this is the Strings Unraveled Book Club. We're recording on Zoom today, so we might sound a little different, but uh, yeah, welcome everybody. The all-important question. Um, first of all, we read Fledgling by Octavia E. Butler. What'd you think? I loved it. Okay, Katie. Katie? I liked it. All right. Okay. I That's liked it. <laughs> yeah, no, I liked it. Oh, good. Um, I loved it. I'm like... Good. I wasn't, a, I knew when Octavia Butler died because my sister's a fan of her and she like texted me like, can you believe she died? And I wasn't really reading her at that point. So I was like, oh yeah, she sounds great. Sorry. Uh-huh. Um, but now I'm in mourning because this is the last book that Octavia Butler wrote. And um, there was meant to be at least two more. <laughs> oh yeah. They, I kind of wish there were more. Yeah. 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 Um I'm I'm hungry for more for sure. <laughs> and um I uh don't usually feel this way, but I, I really wish that there were some trusted author who could take her notes and um and finish this world. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not generally a fan of like people posthumously picking up any kind of artist's work and doing that. But I, I really want this world to finish. <laughs> um, if you don't know Octavia Butler, this is from the book jacket. A writer who darkly imagined the future we have designed, we have destined ourselves for in book after book, and also one who has shown us the way toward improving that on that dismal fate. Octavia E. Butler, uh, 1947 to 2006, is recognized as among the bravest and smartest of contemporary fiction writers. In 1995, a 1995 MacArthur Award winner, Butler transcends the science fiction category even as she was awarded that community's top prizes, the Nebula and Hugo Awards. She reaches, re she reaches readers of all ages, races, and all religions and sexual persuasions. For years, the only African-American woman writing science fiction, Butler has encouraged many others to follow in her path. Fledging was the last novel she wrote immediately following Parable of the Sour and Parable of the Talents. The novel tells the story of Shori, a 53-year-old member of the Aina species who appears to be a 10-year-old African-American girl. The Aina are nocturnal, long-lived, and derive sustenance by drinking human blood. Though they are physically superior to humans, both in strength and ability to heal from injury, the Aina depend on human to, humans to survive. Therefore, their relationships are symbiotic, with the Inus venom providing significant boosts to their human immune systems and extending their lives up to 200 years. However, withdrawal from this venom will also lead to the human's death. The story opens on Shori, as Shori awakens with no knowledge of who or where she is in a cave and suffering from critical injuries. Although she is burned and has skull trauma, she kills and eats the first creature that approaches her. Eating this creature allows her to heal quickly enough to walk and explore on her own. She runs into the ruins where a construction worker named Wright picks her up on the side of the road. Shori bites Wright because she finds his scent irresistible in their relationship. While staying at the Wright's cabin, Shori realizes she's in need of more blood, so she feeds on other inhabitants of the town and develops a relationship with an older woman named Theodora. Shori and Wright return to the burned-out, abandoned village where she woke up to learn about her past. They eventually meet Iosif, Shori's father, who tells her the burned out town was once her home where she lived with her mothers and sisters. They also learn that Wright and Shori's mutual beneficial relationship makes Wright's Shori's symbiote. Further, Shori's dark skin is the result of genetic modification with the Aina experimenting to make their kind resistant to daylight. All other Aina are white skinned. Later, before Shori is able to move in with Iasif, his settlement is burned down as Shori's home. <laughs> Shori and Wright meet the only two human symbiotes who survive, Celia and Brooke. Shori adopts Celia and Brooke as their symbiotes 
to save their lives. Their bonding is initially uncomfortable for all, however, as symbionts become addicted to the venom of one particular Ina, the four flee to another house that ISF owns. While in this new house during the day, they are attacked by several men with gasoline and guns. Because of the genetic enhancement made on Troy, she's awake and they're able to escape. The group travels to the settlement of the Gordon family, old friends of ISF, where they are welcomed and guarded by human symbiotes most during the day. The attackers also raid that settlement, but Shori and the human symbiotes are able to fight back. They capture three attackers alive. The Gordon family interrogates the intruders and finds out that they are the same attackers who killed Shori's family and have been sent by the Silks, another Ina family. The Gordons suspect the attacks on Shori are motivated by disdain for the genetic experiments that created her. After failing to get a confession from the Silks, the Gordon family calls a council of judgment on Shori's behalf. 13 Ina families and their symbionts come to the Gordon settlement to discuss the Silks attack on Shori. During the council, the Silks representative, Catherine Dahlman, sends one of her symbionts to kill Theodora, Shori's symbiont. This attack succeeds. Thus, in addition to issuing a punishment upon the Silks, the council must punish Catherine Dahlman. The Silks' son, Silks? Sons are taken away from them to be adopted by other Ina, ensuring the silk will, line will die out. Catherine is sentenced to have her legs amputated. She refuses this punishment, attempts to kill Shori, who fights back and fatally wounds her. Catherine is killed by being decapitated and burned. After regaining consciousness, Shori decides to join the Braithwaite family and learn the ways of the Ina to create her own family. Um, and all that happens because the Council of Judgment finds the bad guys bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which was like they just went like council of judgment, and then these bad things happened to the bad people. Well, they were found guilty. Yeah. Um. So that's a very comprehensive summary. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. It gave me a little refresher. I love this book. Uh, as I said a few minutes ago, um, I've enjoyed everything I've read by her. I'm looking forward to reading more. But it's sort of interesting. I went to like all the used bookstores in our area. And nothing. So either people are not buying enough of her uh -huh. <laughs> to feel like they've overbought books and give them back. Or when you read her books, you don't give them up. You just keep them. <laughs> yeah, there's that's nothing. a possibility. There's nothing in any of the, the, the I went to Bank of Books, Abendigo, and um, Bart's Books. Nada. Also the weird book giveaway. Nothing there. Oh, yeah. Did that you go to that? That was a whole nother <laughs> fish. It was insane. I got permission to take a long lunch and it was just like piles and piles and piles and piles of the strangest, dustiest books. There was like some things that were recognizable, but it was hot and dusty and dangerous and gross. <laughs> My uh, cousin went to it because she's a big, you know, book fan collector and I was like hey you should go to this this looks right up your alley and she was like oh my mm -hmm. gosh I'm so excited but she had her one-year-old with her oh, no. and so she walked in and she was like I'm overwhelmed so she grabbed like two things and left yeah it was very overwhelming um yeah and and it, I felt bad because I mean I, we don't know who so there was a book giveaway by one of our by our landlord in one of their units thousands and thousands of books left behind by a tenant but people were suggesting that this was from some of the uh, used bookstores in town. And I'm like, they're, they must've gone out of business. I'm like, they're all in business still. I mean, they struggle, yeah. but they're all still here. This is not their mess to the best of my knowledge. But I heard several people just like jump to the conclusion. Oh, they must've gone in business and left this heinous mess. No. Hmm. Okay, so there, like, also no book club questions about this book, even though it is twelve years old. Yeah, I was gonna say it's not new. It's sixteen, it's 16 years old because it's two thousand six. Um, so it is being studied in schools, but I I couldn't find any proper book club questions. So come on, people, read more yeah. Octavia Butler. <laughs> Um, I mentioned her to our group here and they're like, oh, I just read about her in the New York Times or something. So she's she's worth reading. <laughs> uh, so first question, what did you like best about this book? I liked that this was a different sort of take on like it, a vampire story, you know, and I don't read a lot of 
science fiction, but I've seen a movie or two in my time. And <laughs> this is this isn't like your typical vampire, uh, you know, sort of story and how the relationship works and all that. I found it really interesting to learn, and it was it was different than anything I had ever read before. So I enjoyed that. Um, I was kind of going to say exactly the same thing as Katie. Um, if the dog, my neighbor's dog would stop barking. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's not like, cause I never got into any of the vampire movies and I really liked that this story was completely fresh take. Yeah. It was like you saw them as a different form of people. You saw them, they have their own culture. They have their own infighting. <laughs> they yeah. have their own way of being and they're not bloodthirsty. They they are very particular who they choose. They have a, a, a whole societal culture. Um, um, yeah, it was very it was really and then I sure I didn't know any of that though, because one thing I don't know I don't I didn't hear you mention is that when she wakes up, she wakes up with amnesia. You're she right. Doesn't know what, she yeah. doesn't know what or who she is. And because she's so young in vampire years, she and she doesn't remember anything of how things are anything clearly of how things are done. She doesn't know how to be a vampire. Yeah. I I also took it that her skull was kind of crushed as <laughs> the cause of her her amnesia. Which you're right, that summary did not mention one of the most important parts of Shori's uh experience that's um, why she needs to go to the braithwaites yep and what I, a smart what a smart way to like introduce us into this whole culture and like the whole backstory and how everything is going to work is by like putting you in the shoes of the main character it's like it's a it's a very organic way to introduce like a big world without just having to like stop and have somebody explain it to you know some newcomer it's you're learning about everything with shori as you go which i thought was pretty yeah. cool yeah i think that was a very clever way to bring us along and and mm -hmm. also immediately we can form um a connection with shori um because this is such an unusual situation in so many ways that it could make us feel very outside and and make it harder to digest what's happening but we're learning it with her and I like immediately am connected with her. Right. Um, here's a, I wonder if we all kind of have the same answer on this. Uh, what did you like least about the book? Um, I had a hard time at the beginning before you know how everything works and the fact that she looks like she's 10 years old mm -hmm. to then jump into this whole situation with a 25-year-old, I don't know how old he is. Yeah, I think he's uh, 23, but same thing. Yeah, that was a little hard to get past until I stopped thinking about her as, like, a literal child. Because yeah. she's not, she just looks like she is. But that was a little uh, hurdle to jump over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she must have some amazing pheromones for him mm -hmm. to get over it. Because, right, like, because I kept thinking... What kind of a guy, yeah, in his mind, he can tell she's older, but she looks like a child. How can he do that? Because he can't help himself. Her pheromones are kind of making him do it. Yep. It, it must be a chemical reaction between each, because it's it's um, symbiotic was what I was going to say. Oh, that's a <laughs> great word. <laughs> Symbiotes. Um, because, like, what kind of creep? sees a 10 year on the street is like oh baby <laughs> yeah i mean at first, he's like, like, at first he's like quite hey, literally help. Yeah. <laughs> so i i i kind of poked around at people's commentary about that and um someone asked on i think it was on good uh, goodreads um yeah a goodreads conversation uh stream i have to read this universe for a university class and I have extreme discomfort with weird sexual things occurring with two children. I understand that Shori is actually 53 years old, but her body is not. So I need to know, will this book make me deeply uncomfortable all the way through? I mean, you get more comfortable with it, but you, it never yeah. left me. Like, like the I'm, discomfort of this never left me. 
I'm not sure why she wrote it that way. Well, the first... Of... Oh, no, go ahead. Well, I was say the first response. I, but what were you going to say? You, what, what do you I imagine? Mean, she, is, she is a child, right? But they could yeah. have made her like 16 or 17. That's still underage. But yeah. in my mind, I but could it... see that a little bit easier. And also the fact that he's only 23. Like if he were, if she were 18 or, you know, I know it, it sort of negates <laughs> the fact that she's, you know, more obviously a child, but I don't yeah. know why to write it that way, unless she well, wanted to make us uncomfortable. Yes. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's, I'm sure it was intentional to make us uncomfortable. Yeah. Also the character. So Octavia was 56 when she died, but you kind of could imagine that maybe she was 53 when she started writing this. So uh -huh. um, there's something about that middle-agedness that you start reminiscing about the innocence of youth. So I don't know if there's like a personal, like it, anything autobiographical by, about that choice. Um, but so the first response on this to this question is, one of the issues Butler's exploring is the power dynamic in human relationships. I think your discomfort is understandable and is a part of Butler's intent. I also think the book is very worth reading, even if it does make you uncomfortable, because it will encourage you to think about all the ways in which people relate to each other in the face of a power imbalance. Um, and that's from a woman named Lois Maitland. Um, and then another person says, yes, I'm sure you're not, I'm not sure you'll be uncomfortable all the way through, but the beginning is really creepy, beyond Lolita creepy, which I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I had to put the book down for a while, but I agree with Lois that the book is about power dynamics and the creepiness is part of the book and part of the novelty of thinking about relationships differently. The book evolves, so stick with the story, so to speak, which I also agree. Um, and that's from Teresa Horton. Um, and I think those are like put kind of hit the nail on the head that she did this most certainly by design. It's not some weird, creepy thing. It was to make us uncomfortable. Yeah, Karen. And I think the setting of a power dynamic, that theme is throughout the book. Mm -hmm. She develops it even more, but in such, it's such a different way that I think it's easy to, it was easy once I heard that she was 53, but looked that way, I kind of started being able to think differently because a 10 year old doesn't move and react the way, the way she does, you know, Shori does in the book. Right. So. Shori has agency as little as she has because of her <laughs> disability of being an, an amnesiac. She has agency of, of how to move through situations, um, unlike a conventional 10-year-old child, <laughs> a human yeah. child, that being. Well, as something I also, like, so I've, I've been in two worlds that um, Octavia Butler has created. Um, one is about, the other books that I read were about this, like, alien experience of these aliens, like, saving humanity from them destroying the planet. And... She always describes, like, I think to address othering, she always describes any other living creature with conscience, um, consciousness is people. They're always people. <laughs> and mm -hmm. the rest of human versus Ina is really just like, this is this set of people and this is this other set of people. She's, she's so good. <laughs> um. What characters in the book did you like, Beth? Um, I liked Shori. Mm -hmm. I also really liked Theodora for the time that we knew her. Um, and um, there were so many characters that I can't keep everybody's name straight because each member of each family had a lot of people in it. Yeah. Um, but the Gordons, obviously, they were very nice and, and, and welcoming and warm in his and in her initial her father's family um yeah i i can't remember all the names i need the cheat sheet that came with um cersei you know okay. <laughs> um well i really yeah i think everyone who's in shori's camp has a yeah. likability um i also like i think again perhaps by design theodora was so lovable 
so like the loss of her even though she's only present for short periods like that makes the loss of her so easy to feel with theor theodore with um jory because yeah. that should be like a crippling lose your mind loss which is why the antagonist catherine does that has her symbiote um murder uh theodora because she thought it would put shori off her game and make her out of her mind right which only and again it speaks to her specialness like everything about shori if you look if, if you're among her people and you look at it um carefully she is only going to make their people better whereas this book like it's driven by pure hatred and um like the the crimes of this book are are hate crimes yeah um, which which characters did you like least <laughs> um the silk family yeah. obviously yeah. what's okay. his name milo he was milo the worst one the worst. <laughs> he's the worst um catherine is terrible but at the same time i i don't know if it was my fault that i was listening to this at like 1.4 speed because I had like a week to finish it that I I still don't quite understand where the Dalmans are coming from in that like the Silk family is its own entity like and and I can understand like a specific family group dynamic you know being more you know bigoted. yeah go ahead bigotry it's yeah, that's pure, what I said. Pure bigotry. Well, it goes it goes to a black white thing in that the Dolmans don't like the mixing of the races within the well, Inez. I understand I, that, but my problem yeah. with it is that I don't. I didn't see that coming from two. I don't know. Maybe it just goes to show that that it was more prevalent than they than they thought it was. But I I could see it have been one family that was bigoted and you know hateful toward this other family but i i felt like maybe catherine and was catherine alone was the dalman family in general like i didn't really get where that came from i mean, i'd like to say something next i think it's um i think it's a nuanced thing and she introduces it very carefully uh -huh. so when you're at the bottom you want to make sure there's someone below you right <laughs> So, which is a lot of what builds bigotry and hatred in our country mm -hmm. is like, how come you can't look at this situation and see that it, all, it, it diminishes everyone if you act badly. So she spends some time describing the Dalman family that they're small and they're small for being Ina. And then Catherine right. says something to her of like, like, look at how sh she doesn't say exactly like this, but look at how underdeveloped you are. Like, are you even going to get any bigger? You're awfully small for an Ina. And whereas Catherine, she spent some time describing her as extremely short and below the average for an Ina. Right. That's right. like one of those times she's like, look at, look at how bad you are at being an Ina when it's exactly the thing that Catherine is, ba is bad at, you know, <laughs> being tall. <laughs> um, and so I think that, Kat, to me, I think that Catherine's motivation is more of that, like, if I side with this group that's trying to crush you, then I won't be the, the lowest of the low. Yeah, and I think that, that makes sense. So much ugliness and hatred in the world of, like, if I get on board with hating on you and saying that you're the least of us, then I, that's not me. Then I'm not the least of us. Right. Even though the thing above you is ruining and crushing all of us. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, Milo sucks, Catherine sucks. Yeah, I also, obviously. like, can't... I mean, not everybody could be on the side of Shori. That would have been very boring. But, and I think it's important that it's illustrative, like, people splitting hairs on which side to rule on. So mm -hmm. some of them were like, okay, yeah, obviously we see that Catherine's the murderer. So we're going to support, I, I think that was almost unanimous. Maybe one, oh no, it wasn't unanimous. That's why it wasn't a sentence of death. Right. Uh, but there was a strong leaning towards everyone acknowledging that Catherine had murdered someone and had done great wrong against Shori. But after 
two communities were murdered and a third was attempted that they could look at the silks and be like, ah, I'm going to side with them. Right. I can understand them not wanting to side with Shori because of her amnesia and her, you know, brain injury or whatever. Um, And they're like, I don't know how much of her memory we can trust. Maybe we shouldn't sentence these people based on that. Okay. I could see that. But like, after it happened, there were other witnesses. Right. Then why was it hard to see that maybe they could have also done this other thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, that, I mean, I'm a human, right? But yeah. like, maybe they could have just judged them for the murder of the, or the attempted murder of this other family or all of these other people you know, all of her father's family, and wouldn't that have been enough to sentence them something a little stronger? If he, Even yeah. if you left out the part about Shori's family, which is the whole point, and she wants justice for her family, and I can understand that, but I felt like that she'll, still should have been enough. Right. Yeah, Karen? I feel like it's the same kind of t- thing that why people in power can do bad things and get away with it. Yeah. Right? Sometimes. If you're a person in power, the Silks were in power, they're an old family. They were, even though they did this horrible, horrible genocidal thing, you know, but we like them and we don't want to, we don't want to be mean and wipe out their family, even though they wiped out these other, they tried to wipe out these other families. Right. I feel like it's when you have, I'm going to say something controversial, but it's kind of like when you have people in power, like police that are shown to do wrong things and they still don't get fired or convicted. Yeah, we just, we just merrily go along of like, well, we don't want to disrupt things too much. What are you going to do without the cops? What are you going to do without the cops? Well, without the bad cops, you know, right? So, yeah. And so, I mean, I'm just going to, only because you're triggering a thought of like, so we, you said, you say cops all in one, because this is just for our example. But there aren't, not maybe not all the silks are bad, right? But the whole yeah, family's exactly. going to be punished. Whole family's going to be punished. Levels of punishment, right? But, uh, hmm. but that, you know, that calls into, you know, the whole aspect of like, sure, there are worse ones, but like, how much did the other ones know? You know, how much did they mm-hmm. allow to happen without actively right. doing anything themselves about it? So, right. yeah. <clears throat> um, what feelings did this book evoke for you? Um, uh, that's a good question. I was definitely, um, sad at some points, especially with, you know, and, and shocked too. Like when Theodora was killed and it was like, oh, all of a sudden this, you know, had happened and it was like whiplash. Like, yeah, I didn't see that coming. Right. So I think she did a great job in, in putting that, uh, that feeling in you so that you're like, you know, squarely on Shori's side, like you needed this other like major event to happen for you to like care so much at the end about what happened, right? right? So I thought that the author did a great job at not manipulating emotions, but kind of manipulating yeah. your emotions, you know? Well, I think it was a, that example is such a like when you hear bad things happening to people, like injustice is happening to people. And you're like, how could that happen? And then another horrifying thing happens to them because somebody feels like they can just get away with it. Yeah. And it's it's like a piling on of like, how bad can this get? Um, I, th- I think she was actually really through this insane lens of a vampire uh, village showing us the reality of like, it just piles on and piles on and piles on. Um, yeah. Uh, I thought it was really, I felt, um, I felt the whole range. I mean, I got the the creepy part. I mm-hmm. was happy for her when she was, you know, was growing and finding herself. I felt angry and wanting to be vengeful for her. <laughs> but I thought it was, speaking of emotions, I thought it was really interesting how the author portrayed their uh, her emotional reaction was actually a judgment against her her control her sense of self control mm-hmm. actually 
was something that they said, see, you're not, you're not Ina, Ina, because we would have flown into a shark frenzy rage and without even thinking. And the fact that you have any self-control says you're not good enough to be us. Yeah. And it's like, wait, so the fact that she had, it's like, yeah, this sense of rationale of looking at a bigger picture is actually going to better their, their, their people group. But the fact that she has that and is not just out slaughtering people in a, in a mad rage is, is evidence against her, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. That which makes her improved makes her less than in the bigoted eyes. But that's, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I felt a big range too. I was, I was scared. I was confused. I was anxious. I enjoyed like the, the good parts of them coming together and building this unconventional family. Um, mm -hmm. I felt, you know, justified when it did work out because it was like a down the line vote for against the silks. Um, so I thought that was some good, good suspense building. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if you got the chance to ask the author of this book one question, what would it be? I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's cheating to say, what did you, would you have planned for the sequel? You know, because <laughs> it does feel sad that I don't get to know because she set it up so well. And I would have read the others, you know, because I enjoyed this one. Yeah. So I don't know. It feels like cheating for me to be like, Tell me what happens in the next one. I know what's next, right? That's, I mean, right. that is the question that my brain is like literally grinding on. <laughs> like yeah. when I, when I'm like, oh, the book. Yeah. Oh, what's next? What were they going to do? Like, because her plan is to go and live, like she's going to take the advice of one of the elder um, Gordons to go live with some different families and learn from them and uh -huh. then build her own village. Like, what does that look like? Who comes with her? What are their struggles then? Because you hope that through the justice system that the silk problem is done. Like, obviously, the racism is going to come back because that's a clear theme. But mm -hmm. and she wasn't done with the racist families. But the silks are supposed to be done. <laughs> right. They can't retaliate in their justice system. Um, Karen, do you have a question for Miss Butler? Explain further why the men, male and females, had to live separate. Yeah. I thought it yeah. was really interesting that she was raised in a matriarchal group. Yeah. That the men I mean, went, they, they do lightly touch on it, but you're right. Like, there's so much more to know about the history of, like, what happens if they're together for too long. Yeah. Uh, which that tension was there. But but we were, you know, she situationally made us safe from it because Shori's not fully mature. Um. Yeah, there's so much more that I wish was explained a little bit more or we got a little bit more into that I'm only assuming is come would have come in subsequent novels because I felt like the fact that Shori was part human she half human right was a pretty major thing and like the genetic experiments and the, and the scientific work that her mothers did and all that I wanted to know a whole lot more about and to get more into but it was sort of glazed over a little bit in that oh yeah your mothers did this cool thing and you're actually part human, but like, how does that work? How I want to know more about all those yeah. things. Well, and that, that leads to what my question would be, which is because we know absolutely nothing. That's like the part of the amnesia wall that stayed up is we know nothing about the women that she lived with. And I want right. to know what other things did they, um, and that's probably, it's probably one of the lost sequels or pre or a prequel. Ooh, yeah. Oh, man. yeah never have I ever wanted this to have posthumous work done but I would really <laughs> I, I wish there's somebody that the butler estate would look at and say or tag a couple of people to do some work in this world it would be amazing yeah. um yeah 
that I, I'm there for it. If any, I Googled, there's no like any whiff of it on the internet that anyone would be picking this up. But uh, they carried on the girl with the tattoo, the dragon tattoo, like come back to this, give us this world. <laughs> um, if you could hear the same story from another person's point of view, who would you choose? That makes me think of, I, I didn't want to talk about Twilight. I wasn't intending on talking <laughs> about Twilight. But it makes me think of the first Twilight novel that then there's a sequel that's written from Edward's point of view and it's basically the same story, but it's told from his perspective. Because my first initial thought was like, oh, it'd be interesting to think what Wright thinks about all of this or more about yeah. all of this. But yeah, um, I'm sure there's a, a better answer than that. But, no, yeah, I, I would choose a symbiote because, like, we've already kind of examined the problems with any of the other Ina telling this story. Uh-huh. That it would, it's such a foreign land <laughs> that it there'd be maybe, like, you know, it would be harder to bond with them. But definitely we could, as a reader, if we chose one of the humans, like, even it might be an interesting point of view to choose one of the other symbiote um who she adopted from ISF because they have the window into what she doesn't know, but they also are human. So it right. would be easy for the non-Einar reader to uh, connect yeah, with to learn To learn more about the dynamic that they, they talk about actually quite a bit in this novel is like how much uh, of the control is your own, how in charge of your, you know, world are you now how much of your own power you're giving up becoming a symbiote and mm -hmm. is this something that you actually want or are you being convinced that you want you know yeah, is this free will? exactly that that's such an interesting um dynamic and i think it draws a little a lot of parallels to um well i don't know if i want to get into all that but there are there are, <laughs> there are parallels i can draw um but yeah, it would have been interesting, I think, in a symbiote's perspective to hear more of that internal struggle about all that. Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be interesting. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's writing sequels, just keep that in mind. <laughs> um, did this book seem realistic? I mean, as realistic as a, uh, a science <laughs> fiction tale about vampires can, but from the like human perspective, I thought it, I mean, obviously, it was written by a human. You know, the human perspective of it all, I think, was realistic in how people would react. Maybe. I, I can completely believe that this is what caused our vampire lore. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. think so, too. I can completely believe that this is happening somewhere in the world. <laughs> right now. Yeah. Right now, because the way they set, the way they set up their interaction, they have lawyers mm -hmm. that handle the controlling. So they know how to work and survive and live innocuously in this world yeah um how well do you think the author built the world in the book we've talked about this a little bit already but brilliant it's perfect give me more <laughs> yeah that's the problem is it is good there i but i'm left with so many questions <laughs> you know it's so good it's so good well, um, I mean, good she, she even taught they even hinted that what would she be when she comes into her power yeah there's a whole um, nother book. There's yeah. a whole nother book. Yeah. Somebody. Uh, who, yeah. Somebody who knows Octavia's voice. I'm can going write to, in her voice. I'm gonna satiate this hunger I have by I haven't read um I, I think it's another trilogy and it's it's the para, parable books. And I haven't read those yet. So I'm gonna satiate my need for a rich Octavia Butler world by going to one that she did get a chance to fully flesh out. Uh -huh. um, did the character seem believable to you? Do they remind you of anyone? Um, I don't know if I was like specifically reminded of anybody, but um, they seemed realistic in in the way that you know they interacted with things, and, and especially, I mean, not so much the Ina because you know I'm not a vampire, but the humans for sure. <laughs> you don't know what would be believable. I, I, I don't know how I know would react to every situation, so I can't judge that. <laughs> I believe that their um, chameleon nature of being able to exist parallel to humans, but have their own world 
separate from humans that that's all that's all real and realistic to me uh-huh. like let's show Karen and I just agreed that they're probably out there right now <laughs> I like to think that <laughs> um, they, the the Ida power dynamic reminded me of like like the Capulets or something or, or some oh. Italian renaissance drama where yeah. you have you know, whole families of, uh, uh, you know, Italian families kind of infighting each other, you yeah. know, like, like yeah. a mafia that knocks each other off, you know? Right. That, um, yeah. the justice system really does feel very like, like historically ancient European. Yes. Yeah. Um, it would have been, and- I- go ahead, Karen. Didn't, didn't they even talk about like, we put these rules in place so that doesn't happen again. I mean, they referred to something that had happened in the past where they were, you know, backbiting and they, they thought they clearly some of the people thought that, that, that everyone was following the rules and other people were following their ancient uh, power structures. Yeah. Um, I can, I can imagine that this book was fun to write because I think it would be interesting to take as much of vampire lore that you can imagine like they come from Romania they sleep during the day they you know all those things and try and fit it into this imagination world that you're creating to be like mm-hmm. well what's going to be my explanation for that like how did those come to like why is that you know part of vampire lore like to come up yeah. with all the explanations for why things are the way that they are I think was probably fun to do <laughs> which like I think her dispelling myths was so rich like uh-huh that that I love that part of like oh I was silly humans they yeah. don't understand <laughs> but we'll let them think that yep ah cross silver bullet nothing <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um did the pace seem too fast too slow just right I think it was about right yeah I, I usually have a problem with with I, I can usually pick up pretty easily on when a book is like dragging too much. So, but also I listened to this at like hyperspeed, so it was plenty <laughs> fast for me. Um, at normal paper in hand reading pace, it was hard. It was hard for me to put down. Like I had been pacing myself with um, like page number goals, and it was easy for me to exceed my daily goal every day, and hard for me to put down. So I like the pacing just fine. Yeah. Um. Ooh, okay, we've sort of answered this one, but let's just let's just say which one we would do. If we were to write a fanfic about this book, what kind of story would you want to tell? I think I'd want to write the prequel. I mean, I'm not a writer, but that's the story that I would <laughs> am more in, most interested in learning about. Karen? I would do, I would do the sequel. I want to see what she's like when she comes into her power. I would skip I would briefly touch on the whole learning process and skip right into she's a badass woman. All right. Well, and then so we can write the complete series. We're not going to. (laughs) We would like because I'm not a writer. But I I want to do the I want to do the evolution book of like how does she get from our story we now know, who's a different story than all these people who knew her before. (laughs) Yeah. How did she get to Karen's amazing? fully empowered badass how do we get there Um, that worked out well yeah i'm into it (laughs) um (laughs) well i'm glad you guys enjoyed this book because obviously the way i gush about her she's in my favorites of authors um the next thing i'm going to read it looks like there's a pretty like thoroughly developed series called the patternist series um i've already done the exogenesis series which is the one i mentioned earlier about the kind of non-humanoid aliens that come to save the species, but there's a cost mm. for that. Um, and then the parable, parable of the Sour and Parable of the Talents are the books she read, she wrote previous to Fledgling. Um, so there's plenty, like you can enrich, you can get into one of her rich worlds and kind of, you know, solve the wound of not being able to, to enjoy what she would have given us after um, Fledgling. Um, it really you know is- I was, you know what I was thinking. Um, we should start doing at the end of 
a podcast uh, at the end of a book club is like mm-hmm. 10 out of 10 like rate your oh, you know, yeah. rate rate the book you know because <laughs> I feel like I listen to a lot of like movie podcasts and at the end it's like well we're going to talk about this movie okay now let's rate it on our scale so like okay. out of 10 where would you place this book uh I would put it at 9.5 and that's just the the wounding that I can't have more Mm, nice I think I'd give it like an eight eight all right I liked it it was definitely one it was definitely well written I enjoyed it there were things that I felt left out on not knowing if there were sequels to be had or not you know but yeah I'm probably a 9.2 because I'm really really disappointed that there's not more Um, (laughs) but she can't do anything about it she's dead (laughs) wait that didn't stop the Ina (laughs) Uh, well I really enjoyed this book and I'm so happy that you guys uh, also got some enjoyment from it Um, what's next I think it's Karen this month we're going to do a different kind of literature we're going to delve into the world a little bit into the world of graphic novels. So we're going to read a book called Lore Olympus that is um, that is the a modern telling of the love story of Hades and Persephone. So you've got Greek mythology, but kind of meets Sex in the City. Um, just so, uh, just reading from the flap: scandalous gossip, wild parties, and forbidden love. Witness what the gods do after dark in the stylish and contemporary reimagining of one of the mythology's best-known stories from creator Rachel Smythe. Persephone, young goddess of spring, is new to Olympus. Her mother Demeter has raised her in the mortal realm, but after Persephone promises to train as a sacred virgin, she's allowed to live in the fast-moving, glamorous world of the gods. When her roommate Artemis takes her to a party, entire life changes she ends up meeting Hades and feels an immediate spark with a charming yet misunderstood ruler of the underworld now Persephone must navigate the confusing politics and relationships that rule Olympus while also fighting out figuring out her own place and her own power so it's very it's got lots of it's very I guess 90s colored (laughs) lots of blues and pinks and and stuff so it's there's not an audio audible component to this. This is very visual, but that was intention. This was intentional. I wanted us to have a different, more visual kind of experience of literature, where the story is not just in the text, but also in the in the the pictures and the layout. So, yeah, not a comic book, it's... a graphic novel. <laughs> I think it sounds fun. I'm excited about it. I just yeah, while you were reading this the the blurb, I was on Amazon buying my copy. So. I'm excited. <laughs> good, 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 good. So, um, so anyone not familiar with like this is volume one, and that's all we're all we're doing. I'm doing. Um, it, it this is when you do it in a volume, you're buying all the issues kind of booked together, so you get the whole story. Instead, oftentimes graphic, this is booked from, you know, pub. I don't know what the words are, but. <laughs> Anyway, so a lot of comic books serialized like a comic book. Yeah. <laughs> and then they put it all into the compendium. <laughs> nice. Oh. Okay, well that sounds Ooh. exciting. So Lore Olympus by what's the author? Rachel Smythe. Rachel Smythe. Cool. Okay. Well, uh last segment is what have you read this month? Oh, I, I haven't read anything. Got a lot of reading done. Karen, Karen could cover us all, right? <laughs> well, getting into this, I uh, re- read N- N.K. Jemison's Jemison's Far Sector, which is pretty awesome, and it is very sci-fi, and I'm love and I loved it. Read it in a day because, uh, yeah, I needed to. <laughs> and then I read um, Naomi season one. And it's kind of a coming of age, this young, young, young gal living in the middle of nowhere. She's in this middle of nowhere town where nothing happens, but kind of weirdly, no one, things happen. And then everyone denies that things happen. So things really do happen, but no one talks about it. Anyway, um, that's part of the DC world of 
of graphic novels. It's just a narrow I, one. I love the name Naomi. If um, Alexander had been a girl, his name would be Hannah Naomi. Oh, awesome. But he's not a girl. Uh, <laughs> oh, I guess the Wonder Comics are really meant for a younger group, but I just thought they were, I just thought her story is really neat. Um, it's a, let's see what else. Um, yeah, I read a lot, but these were the two primary things that I read. Yeah, I intended to read. I bought the physical copy of this book to take when I was on my trip because I was like, I'll read. And I didn't crack it open once. And then <laughs> and then I slept a lot when I got home. So I haven't read anything. <laughs> well, you had a big trip, so that's that's OK. Yeah, um, I have completed a book called The 20th Wife by Indu Sundaresan. Um, it is a book it's a fictionalized account about the early life of Mohanisa, a persian refugee who became the most famous empress of mogul india through her marriage to emperor emperor jahangir it's really interesting it's about like it's the emperor and his last wife the 20th wife and they're like her fictionalizing of their mar of their romance until she actually marries him and becomes his, his an empress um, and they're the emperor and empress previous to the building of the Taj Mahal. That's the next, that's the next emperor and his um, great love, but it's right in that period of India's history. And it's, um, so I think it's like, like the 15th, no, the, the 16th or 17th century. Um, and because I think it happens in the 1600s, like it spans late 1500s into the 1600s, which is like this weird part of human history that you know happened and it's a really long time ago, but you don't always get a lot of history about because it it's just so long ago. Yeah. Uh, and so that it's a part of a three-part series called the Taj Mahal series. So it's wonderful. I've never read anything set in that time frame or in that place. And I'm really, really enjoying the trilogy. Yeah, but they're that sounds interesting because I don't know a whole lot about India's history. That sounds like something that would be fascinating to learn about. I came across it as one of the books that's included on your Audible subscription. So these these three books were all free. Yay! Nice. <laughs> they're, they're they're nice for free because they're um, like seventeen hours long. <laughs> Getting a lot of bang for your buck yeah. that you didn't spend. Uh huh. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I think that wraps up our book club this month. Thank you for yep. uh, reading with us. Yeah, we'll see you next month when we talk about Karen's pick and we will uh, have our regular podcast episode up at the beginning of October. So we'll see y'all then. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Strings Unraveled is a production of Strings and Things Studio with Anne Leckervin Cazzoli, Katie Von Rader Fraker, and Karen Wilmoth. Recorded and edited by Katie Von Rader Fraker. Find us online at stringsandthingsstudio.com or on Facebook or Instagram at stringsandthingsstudio. You can email us at stringsandthingsinfo at gmail.com.